The Great Canadian Talk Show. There's only a couple of watts, but I brought the truth to everyone within three blocks of the west side of campus. No way! Yes way! And now, let's get right down to business with Marty Gold. Welcome, everyone. This is the Great Canadian Talk Show Podcast, episode 33 of season three. I'm Marty Gold. We're uh, heading towards the wrap on season three. That will uh, take place over the course of the next couple of weeks. Then we'll kick off 2024 with season four. This episode, in the uh, same vein as our Crime Courts Public Safety Update series, brought to you by Jamrock Security. And we're going to be taking a look at three controversial cases in Winnipeg uh, and uh, taking a look at the media reports what the media is saying, what they aren't saying, the excuses they make for criminals, and in particular, what I'm viewing and what I'm calling is the alternate reality that Winnipeg's criminal class seems to exist in. Uh, it, I've been taking a close look at a number of these cases, and what we have uh, at, in segment one and in segment three are uh, a look is is going to be a look at recent controversial shootings. Uh, with murder charges, uh, homicide charges pending uh, in two of the two cases. And they are going to sandwich a case in the middle uh, where there's allegations about the uh, behavior of police, the way they handled the takedown of a stolen vehicle, uh, and uh, the finger pointing. But again, a warped reality being expressed in, in uh, certainly in that case. Uh, and the Winnipeg media... Um, has some responsibility for promoting narratives that are simply at odds with reality, with fact, and with the public interest. Uh, the continued um, attempt to make perps victims uh, in every and all cases by our uh, mainstream corporate media, and that's one of the reasons why I'm here, to counteract that media, to be able to take a look at, take a, a broader uh, look uh, you know, wide-angle lens look at the situation around some of these cases, the evidence, uh, the media reports, and try to piece together something that's comprehensible so that when somebody tells you, oh, but the cops did this, or oh, the shooter did that, you'll be able to say, eh, not so fast. As we kick off this episode, the alt-reality of Winnipeg's criminal cases, when it comes to the way we've handled, uh, in particular, uh, the, the, what's going to be in the third segment, the murder of the Langside Four, waiting has its re rewards uh, when it comes to the Crime Court's public safety update, and particularly with regards to, uh, to that case. Uh, um, and uh, I'll be taking a close look at it. I want you to hang around for the, for the, the news. And something that I think... <clears throat> One media outlet reported that seems to have slipped past everybody, very important detail, that raises a lot of questions about one of the individuals that's been quoted in one of the news stories. But out of the gates today, there is a shooting in the third week of November in the foreigner block of Burroughs in Winnipeg's North End, that's between Salter and McGregor, where a young woman was killed. An arrest was made this past week of a suspect in the case. Ava Zaber was a 20-year-old and about 1.30 in the morning, police were called to a residence. Uh, she was taken to the hospital and died at the hospital. 
about five blocks to the north in the 500 block of college, another 20-year-old, Brent Jaden Mead, has been arrested. Now, police indicating that the two knew each other but were not evidently involved, that may or may not prove to be the case in the end, or could be that there was some prior involvement. They knew each other somehow. And it's important to note that the accused right now is not facing any firearms charges. So that is an indication the police have not found the, the gun used to shoot and kill this young lady. Uh, but there are other charges uh, relating to the death. I believe it's secondary homicide. So that would be an indication that police believe that Meade was there, but they don't as yet have evidence to be able to lay a charge that he's the trigger man. That's all very well and good. What's not very well and good is the way the media has tried to frame the story about the arrest of the suspect. This coming from the Winnipeg Free Press tabloid newspaper. Uh, Watch this deceptive framing. Meade, here's a quote, Meade has few past convictions, court record shows, but was pending on multiple charges from August, September, and early November. This is an unbelievable litany of what's gone wrong with this kid's life that we can tell that we know of over the course of the uh, summer and fall. On August 6th, he was charged with two counts of uttering threats and one count of a break and enter to commit mischief. So uh, just toss up a hypothetical. No, I have no indication this is the case. Uh I'm going to mess you folks up because he thinks they stole something of his or something, and he uh, <clears throat> breaks into their place to try to re-steal whatever it is he thinks they took or, or mess with their possessions or whatever. This is supposedly on August 6th. And Meade was granted a release order with conditions. That, of course, proved totally useless when it came to the life of the deceased, seemingly in her own home, where Ava Zaber was found in a bad situation by police. That's on August 6th, but not even a month later, September 5th, he allegedly committed mischief to property with under 5,000. And then on September 12th, was charged with three counts of failing to comply with conditions of a release order. So he's released, he's got conditions, he's breaching the conditions, he's committing evidently committing more crimes. Then he was charged with two counts of failing to attend court on November 6th. The day he was arrested on allegations he was involved in the murder of Ms. Zaber on December 6th, he was charged with another three counts of failing to comply with a a release order. So it's funny they framed it, well, he has few past convictions when the way I would have framed it, the way a real media outlet would frame it, He has 15 pending criminal cases. 15 pending criminal cases. What do they say? Oh, he has a few past convictions. But clearly, he's been on uh, a very bad path through the course of July, August, September, October, and November. He was convicted of failing to comply with a probation order in November 2021. That tells you that there's some sort of prior. 
failing to comply with a court sentence in January 2022, so there was a prior, after he pleaded guilty in provincial court in July 2022. So failing to comply with a court sentence, failing to comply with a probation order, those were already in the record before that streak of 15 pending cases. This is a fellow who has, has demonstrated zero regard. Zero regard for the concept that there are consequences for breaking the law. He was fined $100 for those offenses. So, hmm, he's fined 100 bucks, and after that, he's now facing 50 more charges. That's what? Uh, one of which is a murder charge. That's hmm, $7 a charge? Ooh, that fine sure was a deterrent. Now, one of the comments uh, that, that uh, or observations, rather, that I have uh, from this Free Press report, court records show Meade had not been charged with any firearms offenses. So the inference is he's not usually around guns. Uh, we don't know if that's true or not, but one thing I do know is true. There were two pictures on this, uh, this accused's Facebook page, publicly available, one of which is definitely him with a bizarre caption in which basically he was saying, it doesn't pay to be a nice guy and I'm going to look out for myself from now on. And the other, a photo that appears to be him, but was his cover photo, which would be selected by him as a, you know, like a display, like your billboard on your Facebook of someone covering their face, you know, gangbanger-ish, gangbanger, pointing a pistol at the camera. And those pictures were posted seemingly in 2016. And he would have been no older, with my Faye Hodgman High School math, no older than 14 at the time these pictures were published on his Facebook page. We have no idea what kind of help he did or didn't get. We have no idea how many times he was or wasn't in school, how many times he was or wasn't suspended from school, whether there was social workers involved. His record seems to come into play after he turned uh, 18. That's what the evidence that we have so far shows. But clearly this young man was, how do I put this? He didn't look down on a gang lifestyle. He's alleged to have threatened people through the summer, committed uh, two break-ins with intent to disrupt people's lives, continual breach of conditions and court orders, and breached the conditions of a court sentence. Do you think anybody pulled him aside and said, hey, you, you got to straighten out here. Uh, what's happening with you? Why are you on this slide, Brent? Assuming he's called Brent, maybe he's called Jaden. Did anybody try to get through to him? Did anybody, was anybody supposed to get through to him and failed? But mostly what we see is 
continued interaction over a short period of time with the courts after a previous interaction showed he had no regard for conditions under which he was set free. And in the end, according to the police, his disregard for personal responsibility, his disregard for the courts, his disregard for his sentencing, his disregard for the safety of others, that all led to the death of a 20-year-old girl on Burroughs. I'm going to continue to keep an eye on this case, but it was startling how many charges he racked up in a short period of time and somehow the system isn't built, isn't constructed, doesn't run itself in a way where somebody said, you know, this is escalating and we just keep letting him out to intimidate other people, to break the law, to wreak havoc. We'll see what other charges may yet be pending. My sense is the police are looking for an accomplice in that case. And uh, as I said, I'll continue to keep an eye on on that. Uh, no indication yet what may have been behind this. Uh, you know, a lot of time, these kinds of shootings at 1.30 on a, I think it was a Saturday night, uh, might have been a Friday night and a Saturday. A lot of times these are related to, um, how do the police put it, people socializing together. But no evidence that that's the case yet. That's just a little bit of information that I don't think has been properly enunciated in the mainstream media. Uh, I think really only the one outlet has covered the background of this fellow. And I don't think anybody's explained that on Facebook he had no problem portraying himself as a lone wolf looking out for himself gangbanger. Back with the second part of the Crime Court's Public Safety Update right after this. The Great Canadian Talk Show is brought to you by The Hive Hair Company. From classic to funky, the styles of your life are at The Hive in the heart of the Osborne Village at 175 Osborne. Call 452-4483 or online, thehivehaircompany.com. The Crime Courts and Public Safety Update is sponsored by Jamrock Security. For your home, your family, your business, your employees, and for your community. Jamrock provides affordable protection solutions. Call 204-880-1564 or go online, jamrocksecurity.ca. Do security. Do it smart. Jamrock Security. Just before I launch into part two of uh, this Crime Court's public safety update, uh, just to touch on some of our recent, uh, not just episodes, but I put out a story on actionline.ca and, uh, that tells the truth uh, about the posters, some posters that were put out around the University of Manitoba campus. And uh, there's been three mainstream media outlets in Winnipeg that have covered this story. Not one of them has mentioned the kind of defamatory anti-Semitic comments that were made about Izzy Asper. And that's important. Uh, the link will be in the episode description. You can go to actionline.ca and you'll see the, you'll see the the uh, story, the column that I wrote. Cancel culture comes for Izzy Asper. What CBC refused to report. Uh, 
about the posters. What CBC refused to tell you was what was said on the posters. And this isn't where, you know, there's people were saying like, you know, Izzy Asper was a kike or, you know, stuff like that. Not any, you know, Christ killer, any of these old time slurs. No, this is a modern slur. The media didn't want you to know. These posters insisted that Izzy Asper was a fascist and tried to draw a link between Benito Mussolini and Asper. Now, the, the, I believe there's a, I don't remember what the, the name of it is, uh, a, a certain kind of, uh, of uh, convention and argument or whatever, that the uh, first person who names, mentions Hitler loses. I'm sure the first person who mentions Mussolini probably is the second person to lose. Somehow there's a poster that went out mentioning Mussolini, that Asper was somehow a derivative, actually not derivative of Mussolini, but Mussolini said that Zayed, that the, the best way to tell a, 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 Zay, a, fa, a fascist is, you know, that's what Zionism is. And because Asper was a fan of uh, both Jabotinsky, the father of modern political Zionism, and of Menachem Begin, well, Mussolini, who knew a fascist when he looked in the mirror and saw one, he said Zionism was fascist. Therefore, somehow, because Mussolini said so, is he Asper's a fascist? Now, this is important because you can't fight anti-Semitism without knowing what is being said. Because fighting against people who call Jews Christ killers is different than fighting against, uh, uh, against anti-Semitism where other kinds of spurious or ridiculous allegations or assertions are made about the Jewish, preacher, the, uh, P, uh, Jewish people, the Jewish culture, uh, about the state of Israel, etc. I urge you to go to Action Line and look at that. I'll have more about that as well. Transit, Winnipeg Transit, the union has voted for a contract. And uh, I am going to be doing a follow-up uh, because there was lots of reaction to our story about how there was a cloud over the uh, over the union leadership and uh, got a really unique situation evolving because nobody's denying it. They're admitting something was up, but they don't want to say what. Not quite done with that subject yet as well. Uh, there's going to be more following the Obicon apology for inadvertently... Uh, endorsing an anti-Semite, uh, one of these uh, pro-Hamas uh, agitators, cloaking themselves under the guise of uh, being concerned of, uh, about the fate of, uh, of uh, private citizens, innocent civilians in Gaza. And uh, there's going to be more. It's going to relate to the police because the police, um, they certainly let people march on our streets saying anything they want, including chanting for uh, a violent revolution. Uh, but God forbid uh, somebody who's pro-Israeli not move their car fast enough while they try to do things in a way to make sure that their possessions aren't stolen. And I expect that I'll have more of that. And uh, since Chief Smythe apparently already had a meeting scheduled with the person who was harassed today, as I record this on Sunday, by the constabulary, Danny Smythe, on his way out the door finally as police chief, he may not have a very comfortable week. All that and more coming up on uh, not just the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast, but on actionline.ca, all our podcasts, of course, available on actionline.ca. Also, I'll mention here uh, parenthetically, we're in the middle of our fundraising drive looking to raise a total of $1,800. We have a, uh, a newsletter 
Uh, it's got links to our uh, most uh, popular, most controversial episodes, an example of the kind of work that we've uh, been able to produce over the course of the last year. And if you want to, if you want to get that, and it has um, uh, links uh, so that you can provide uh, support, uh, financial uh, financial support uh, to ActionLine.ca and to the ongoing production of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast, then just email me, Marty Gold Live. That's where you can send news tips, uh, questions, comments, listener comments as well as interact transfers, send me an email, Marty Gold Live, M-A-R-T-Y-G-O-L-D-L-I-V-E at gmail.com, and we'll send you a PDF version of that newsletter. And uh, hopefully you'll be inclined to not only contribute, to donate, but to share it with others who you think rec- would recognize the value of the work we do as independent media here in Winnipeg, keeping an eye on the uh, political class, keeping an eye on the media class, and uh, keeping an eye on what's going on on the streets and roadways of Winnipeg. Now, the second case I want to discuss today is what happened in Fort Garry on Dalhousie. Uh, Officer pinned by vehicle trying to flee traffic stop, police told Manitoba Independent Investigation Unit. And this is a situation where the CBC buried the lead uh, in their story. Now, this involves a fellow named Dustin Tommy Hatcher, who is 39, who it turns out had a completely different name and changed it at some point, his obituary revealing that he, what appears to be his birth name, was Mark Brian Broderick Irving. Changed his name completely. That's pretty unusual. According to a GoFundMe that's been set up for the family, in the last week, and I'm not quite clear if this happened, uh, it appears to me that this happened after uh, after this fellow was shot and killed by police in a in a uh, an apprehension, a pullover. It appears that after that. Uh, an older brother died. And so the family's been faced with the cost for two funerals in very short order. That's why there's a, a GoFundMe and the GoFundMe names uh, three children. It says their mothers, as well as his wife, Jacqueline Hatcher. And one other note in the GoFundMe, as he grew older, I... No, I think this from the obituary, not from the GoFundMe. As he grew older, the community to which he gravitated will remember him as a staunch man who always sought to help others and displayed enormous amounts of empathy for those who were in need. The community to which he gravitated. Let's keep that in mind as we read this story. Witness alleges Winnipeg police fatally shot unarmed man without warning. This by Rosanna Hempel, formerly with Global, And now I learned from this story over at CBC, and this quotes extensively a woman named Carrie Bladen. She cries constantly because CBC, they're storytellers, not reporters, right? So it opens with, she replays his death over and over. She cries constantly. Why am I still here and he's not? I was like inches away from him when he was shot. She's demanding accountability. After she alleges an officer opened fire on an unarmed man without warning. Hmm... Hmm, now what was her role in this? 
course, the obligatory, you know, he had a wonderful smile. He had a great sense of humor. Of course, a lot of these thugs do. And I say he was a thug because he had uh, background in thuggery and some outstanding charges. This was, I think, on November 28th, actually, was the shooting. Now, police say that an officer was pinned by a vehicle. Carrie Bladen says, well, that's not what happened. This is what she told CBC, and I'm going to have more comments from her after the CBC story ran, because she's saying CBC got it wrong. But we'll, we'll wade through these various details. And what I'm sure some activists would call her truth. She and Hatcher were parking in a back lane stall near her home. When they were approached by two officers, she alleges officers did not give them a reason when telling them to get out of the truck. Bladen, who'd been driving a borrowed vehicle, she said she later found out was stolen, got out. Stop right there. You know what the media, what the reporter, paid for by your tax dollars, by the way, CBC, what she apparently didn't ask? Who borrowed you the car? Oh, I'm sorry, I think correct. I think proper Queen's English would be King's English. Would be who lent you the car? In other words, where did the car come from? She said she was driving a car. I think it was actually a truck, a board vehicle, that she later found out was stolen. Well, this would be why the cops pulled it over or, you know, followed it, this unmarked vehicle, because it came up as a stolen uh, stolen plate or stolen car, whatever. She said she got out, this is what she told CBC, while Hatcher moved into the driver's seat. Now, let me ask you folks, have you ever heard of the police telling people, get out of a car, and one person gets out of the driver's side and the passenger gets behind the wheel? Now, let's take this a step further. Among you, my listening audience, what do you think is going to happen when the cops tell you get out, the driver gets out, and you get behind the wheel? And the vehicle's still running. What do you, do you think that's going to have a positive outcome? You probably don't. God knows what was going through Hatcher's brain. Bladen has quite the story to tell here. And she's not the wife, mind you. This would be the girlfriend. So Hatcher's a colorful fellow by any estimation. He was facing charges at the time of his death, including failing to comply with conditions of his release. Oh, there's that again. And theft under $5,000. Chris D., helpfully providing the details, uh, because Google is your friend, the suspects broke into businesses and restaurants in the 2000 block of Pemina Highway. Guess what that's near? Carrie Bladen's house. Where she lives. That's not far. I guess I'll be... I think this was on Dalhousie and that would be Chancellor. And most of the break-ins, they broke windows, stole cash registers. And one incident, approximately $300, two Interact pads, a laptop, and a power drill were taken. They're... Uh, the police caught up their suspects at their homes at their homes on Tuesday in the 900 block of Carrigan Place. You know, I'm looking at this and I wonder if they misspelled Car. I thought it was Carrigan. Anyways, where they were found in possession of two stolen cash registers. 
Officers recovered stolen property, including clothing and accessories linked to the incidents. So this fellow alleged from the end of January to February, out on a barrage of damage and theft in his own neighborhood, Fort Gary. Now, what does Hatcher say? She gets out of the vehicle. He gets behind the wheel. Here's a direct quote from CBC. He'd been planning to turn himself in after the holidays. Well, that's a pretty laissez-faire attitude towards things, isn't it? He was planning to turn himself in after Christmas, probably after New Year's. She said to CBC, she tried to help Hatcher take off by holding back one of the officers on the driver's side. Did you hear this in the media anywhere? She tried to help him escape. A second officer moved to the passenger side. He's trying to flee. He's trying to flee. Bladen said the officer near her shouted. If anybody was pinning anybody, it was my back pinning the officer. Now, let's say that the, there was a, a misunderstanding of the details. That they were afraid that the cops were going to get run over by this vehicle, which I think is a reasonable apprehension. Right? Not unprecedented for cops to have that uh, concern, especially with a stolen vehicle. And they find themselves being interfered with, not somebody just sort of standing in the way, pinning him. Stopping the cop on the driver's side. She admits to this amid the commotion. Sheared glass shatter and shots from the passenger side before the truck drove into a fence a few meters away. So they pull in. It's either still in still in driver. I guess you know she put it in park. He, that means he would have put it in drive. Did Hatcher. Everything unfolded quickly, Bladen said, crying. I ran to the car, screaming. She saw Hatcher hunched over behind the wheel, after which an officer tased her twice. He was dead, she said. Okay, so she's saying she sees him behind the wheel, and he's dead. I was begging and begging them to help him. They wouldn't help. <clears throat> Not for nothing, but how do you help a dead person who's behind the wheel of a stolen car that tried to take off, who got behind the wheel after the car was apprehended by after the vehicle the truck was apprehended by police and after the driver had gotten out and tried to block one of the cops keeping in mind that this guy had outstanding warrants but was planning to turn himself in after the holidays and yet according to this not Carrie Blayton he's the victim she last saw him after he was attended to by paramedics by paramedics being carried by their ankles and wrists by officers and dropped in the lane. Here's a quote. Like a wild animal being hunted down. Ooh. There's something going on, she said. I just want justice. Dustin did not deserve to die. Well, let's start from the beginning. Somebody did not deserve their, to have their businesses broken into. And by the way, that 
wasn't his first time. Somebody should not have broken the terms and conditions of their release. Somebody should not have been borrowing a stolen vehicle. Somebody should not have been getting behind the wheel of that vehicle when the cops had already tried to stop it. And somebody's girlfriend should have been trying to block a police officer from arresting Hatcher. Did I miss anything? He was so sweet. Oh, I missed that part. Because CBC, you know, their mandate is to ensure that it's understood that criminals are the victims. He was a caring father of three. He was so sweet, according to a longtime friend. He was born to Jamaican parents in Winnipeg, raised in the city, and struggled with addictions, which he funded in part through stealing. You know what I didn't read anywhere in this story? Rehab. Did he ever try to get better? Did he ever try to follow the straight and narrow, be a productive member of society? Hatcher, according to this story, has faced, here's a quote, dozens of charges dating back to 2002. But the friend, she said she's in disbelief the way he's being portrayed by police. He doesn't fight. They made Dustin look like he's a bad guy, and he really wasn't. Well, yeah, toots, except for the part where he got behind the wheel of the stolen vehicle and tried to get away. Because he intended to stay out until after the holidays. Now they're both con concerned that the IIU investigation will absol absolve the officer who shot him. They need to be charged. Of course they do. And yet Bladen says she blames herself for Hatcher's death. So, like, follow the logic. The girlfriend and this other dame who's friends with him say, oh, they need to be charged. But the girlfriend says it's her fault. I got out of the vehicle and I tried helping him get away. So far, by the way, no indication she's been charged with obstructing an investigation uh, with possession of a stolen vehicle. No charges seemingly laid against her yet. But her gums sure have been flapping. The car did not move until he was shot. Maybe he would still be alive. Well, he it didn't move. The, the bullets didn't put it in drive. He put it in drive. At some point, Bladen said she spoke with the IIU on uh, last Wednesday morning. Dustin Hatcher a colorful character, loved by many, but with a 20-year career as a criminal. With outstanding warrants in a stolen vehicle. And somehow, CBC says the cops are the bad guys? Well, that's not all. Carrie Bladen... Uh, initiated two, uh, I believe these were Facebook posts on December 1st. Early Tuesday morning, I lost my man. The police had taken his life, executed him right before my eyes. The tragedy plays over and over and over again in my head. My God, you want to talk about some sort of a, of a Bonnie and Clyde complex? This chick has it in spades. When I was released Wednesday evening from custody, I read the article from our trustworthy news reporters posting the media as they believe they know all the facts. The only thing they wrote was nothing but lies. Every word, in fact. I'll be sharing the truth of this tragedy, T-R-A-G-I-T-I-Y, on behalf of Dustin. They shot him several times without warning through the pasture windows. He was in the driver's seat. Stop or I'll shoot? Without warning? The officer held me down with force, telling me to shut the F up. 
20 cop cars later, only one ambulance. Well, what do you need more than two ambulances? It shows you the, the intelligence of this dame. Unless she's saying she needed an ambulance because she was tased. Died on the scene, not taken to the hospital. I seen officers carry his lifeless body and throwing him half naked on the cold ground. Half naked, what? Does anyone know anyone in the media I can trust, I could share and clear his name? We're not innocent, she said. This is her own Facebook post. We're not innocent. Yes, we're in a vehicle that wasn't ours. Yes, Dust had warrants for a shoplifting. All he was trying to do was feed his family. Yes, he tried to flee. But that shouldn't have costed him his life. Oh, clearly taking advice from the Aisha Hudson was a victim crowd here. Has the media said anything about that he hopped behind the wheel outside of the CBC report? That he had a 20-year career uh, year career as a criminal? That there was outstanding warrants? That he was victimizing businesses in his own neighborhood? No. He had a great laugh. He loved to make people happy. Of course, uh, another case we'll be keeping an eye on and see uh, how else the police are demonized and the so-called victim is glorified. Because that's the mandate now, don't you know? The police are always wrong even when they're right, and if they're right, they're wrong. Because the criminals are always right in Winnipeg. A look at uh, the latest updates and a detail in the Langside 4 murder that kind of escaped me and I think sort of escaped all the rest of the Winnipeg media. One newsroom had a detail is buried so bad, I only spotted it as I was doing prep for this episode. Back with more right after this. The information you need but can't find anywhere else. A lot of you know what would hit the fan if at any point anything were to come out from this. But we have that information. The tradition of investigative journalism for Winnipeg restored. You will not believe the latest kind of garbage being crammed on a curriculum that has nothing to do with reading, writing, arithmetic. Actionline.ca This is the priority at City Hall. Like prostitutes. There's money being waved around. We better go do whatever it is so we can get the money. Now whether it makes sense doesn't matter. Featuring the great Canadian talk show. Where do the people go to be heard? With Marty Gold. With Marty Gold. Do you have a comment, story tip, or want to advertise or support the great Canadian talk show podcast? Email tgcts1 at gmail.com. Join the Facebook group. Or follow us on Twitter at TGCTS. You have the power. I just took a look at the episode rankings. Uh, you know, which ones have the mo- are the most listened to. And the December 5th podcast about transit union leaders under cloud as contract vote begins. Of course, they approved that, uh, that contract with about a 58% of the membership in favor. So not, not a... a hugely resounding um, uh, acceptance of the contract from the city. That episode is has almost now caught up with what's in a name, Ask Nanny Fontaine, uh, our big uh, expose during the course of the provincial election. Almost as many listeners, so I know that a lot of those listeners are coming from the ATU, the Transit Union, and I've heard from uh, from a couple of those members 
Uh, and I'll be following up on that story as well. For those interested, our third-ranked uh, all-time former magistrate, 88, Sunday punch at downtown bus stop. That was on August 9th after the, the, uh, after the August long weekend. No other newsroom, no newsroom in Winnipeg, no other media outlet reported on that. Number four, by the way, about a report from May, from May 10th, about how East St. Paul parents stopped stop the school from canceling Mother's Day. Well, the school out in East St. Paul is trying to cancel something else. Got tipped off today. Uh, very likely I'll be looking at that in the very near future. Uh, all our episodes, as I mentioned, available on actionline.ca, uh, as well as various articles that, uh, that uh, have also been posted. Uh, and in particular, cancel culture coming for Izzy Asper uh, and uh, how the media does not want to explain the nature of the claims, allegations, smears, and defamation that were made. And there's three newsrooms have covered it so far, CBC, CTV, the Winnipeg Free Press. None mention expl- or explain what kind of language, what kind of anti-Semites, they just leave it open like, oh, this might have... You know, the average person reading stuff, they go, oh, some anti-Semitic posters, Izzy Asper. And they've, this leaves the door open to figure, oh, it must be, you know, MAGA Trump supporters, neo-Nazis. Because they don't want to give the public any sense that the vicious, vile, disgusting, mean-spirited, terminally toxic anti-Semitism that we're seeing now on our streets, in college campuses, at the United Nations, that is coming from the political left. Which, of course, matches up neatly with the Overton window of the mainstream media, who are so far to the left, they're damn near hitting that horseshoe theory uh, theorem of where the crazies on the left and the right meet when it comes to their hatred for Jews. Take a look at actionline.ca. And again, if you want to get uh, get a hold of our fundraising brochure, martygoldlive at gmail.com. We've given extensive coverage to the shootings on November 27th, the death of four people in a rooming house on Langside, uh, and one still clinging to life, a 55-year-old man. It turns out that all five, as we eventually learned, all five knew each other. Uh, a local newspaper printed two different versions, day after uh, one day, one version, another day, the other version, the Winnipeg Sun did. Two different versions of life on Langside, but only one was correct. In a previous podcast, we compared uh, a government-funded patrol that says West Broadway is normally a pretty quiet neighborhood, with, and we compare that with the lived experience of a mother with, two, with little kids on Langside who said she'd heard yelling and fighting and gunshots often in the area. On December 5th, City TV ran a story that quoted the father of the accused, Jamie Felix. Uh, the suspect had seizures that would cause medical distress. This was the angle that was taken was that he was temporarily, the word insane hasn't been used, but temporarily out of control because he was prone to some sort of seizures. And in this case, uh, the father saying that he's a, the son is a good man, greatly afflicted when experiencing an epileptic incident. He doesn't know what he does, and it takes one to three to five hours, he said, till he snaps out of it. Randall Chummy Fagnan. 
and this is buried in this story, I haven't heard it reported anywhere else, who says he was with his son and others at the time of the November 26th shooting on Langside Street. He was with his son at the time of the shooting and Jamie was apprehended in St. Vitale like a week later and no media outlet seems to have asked were you hiding your son? Did you know where he went? Was it your gun? Like what? This guy was there. And everybody knew everybody. I mean, a good question whether the father knew him. I uh, knew the victims as well. Now, keep in mind that the an employee at the nearby Sherbrooke Inn, the old Westminster Hotel, always a place known to be a little bit on the rough side, Brendan Cornejo told City TV the group were regulars, said the relationship between all of them revolved widely around drugs. The money quote, they made their choice. They chose to do it. It would be if I smack my head against the wall, it's my choice and I have to live with the consequence. Now, on December 7th, CBC providing some background on Felix, who spent, I think it was 11 years in the military, which... Now I kind of wonder, I suppose on medication, his, if he had epilepsy, that it would be controlled. But I don't know how the military handles people with that condition who may or may not have access to firearms. Pre-sentence report in March of 2022. And that's where he escorted somebody. Somebody was leaving a party at what it sounded like a rooming house and were being really loud and obnoxious and disturbing people on the way out. And he... Helped this fellow down the staircase a little too roughly. And the guy ended up with a cracked skull and memory loss of what happened that night. And he fessed up two days later, came forward to the courts. The report, the uh, pre-sentence report, said he'd been diagnosed with alcohol use order and depression. Of course, his twin brother had been murdered in a, he was going to be hijacked when he was delivering drugs uh, in the West Broadway area. And that was in, I think, 2012. Felix admitted to using crack cocaine once at the end of 2022 and told a probation officer he would occasionally use cocaine while on an alcohol binge that often contributed to a psychotic episode. So wait a second. Was he epileptic or psychotic? Well, at least the defense attorney will have some choices to work with. When he was out binge drinking, he would stop taking his prescribed seizure medication. So I guess he had both. That's according to Autumn Beardy, a former roommate uh, of, uh, of the brother, and we've reported on this previously. Every December, he had a hard time around uh, their birthday. Uh, he entered a residential addictions treatment program at the end of 2022, left for a medical appointment, didn't come back. Now, again, this, this warped reality, this alt-reality that the criminal class lives in, okay? Uh, Hatcher somehow is a victim of the police, right? Uh In the, the, the police shooting in Fort Gary. Beardy 
said she feels like he slipped through the cracks of the systems he looked to for help. Once again, the purpose victim. How, what, how did he slip through the cracks? He went out for a medical appointment and didn't come back. He took crack and drank and didn't take his medication. So short of locking this guy down for his own protection and the protection of society, what cracks did he slip through? And keep in mind that even the fellow's own mother doesn't really paint the rosiest picture. She left the father when the twins were three years old. They were raised by their father from the ages of five to ten. Here's the quote from the CBC story. Something their mother voiced regret about. The report said Felix described being exposed to the gang lifestyle throughout his childhood. I think his father had something to do with it. And the mother was also concerned about his drug use. Sometimes she said, I want him to go to jail because he has to learn about his actions. On the other hand, I'd say he needs treatment because he's still dealing with his addictions. What cracks did he fall, uh, fall through? Or is he responsible, like Hatcher, like Mead, for their own circumstances, their own situations, for ending up in the headlines in a bad way? But in the alt-reality of the Winnipeg media and Winnipeg's criminal class, the repeated, I mean, I've just gone over stuff where, and Felix a bit of a different case, I admit. Uh, it, 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 it looks like with him, you know, he had the one incident he owned up to, uh, roughing up somebody who was being a jerk. And then this, God knows what happened. And, and it turns out that I know an individual who knows the three of these deceased on Langside are from Lake St. Martin. I know somebody that knew all three. I'm going to see what further information they might be able to bring to light later this week. But when you are around drugs, around firearms, around a drug lifestyle, committing fraud, committing theft, committing break-ins, uttering threats, around guns, doing drugs. I mentioned doing drugs. Not taking your medication. Do the, are these people falling through the cracks? Are these people victims somehow? Where is the personal responsibility? The Winnipeg media doesn't ever talk about that. They don't give the full picture. They don't even read from the look of it, each other's reports because the father's saying he was there at the time. How is it that the media hasn't knocked, what's his name, Chubby? How have they not knocked his door down? Asking him to account for his own actions that evening before four people were murdered and one clings to life in a hospital bed. I'm sure when it comes to the, uh, the stabbing outside the Manlin, where three are now accused, a 20-year-old, a 24-year-old, and a 26-year-old, the victim, Lloyd Larson, police say that he knew the suspects. Everybody knew each other before that incident. And lo and behold, here's your punchline on that case. A 45-year-old woman is charged with being an accessory after the fact. And then there's the stabbing at the Dollarama on Portage and Donald. Merry Christmas, downtown Winnipeg. 
Merry Christmas, West Broadway. Merry Christmas, North End. This is why Winnipeg has such a challenging environment. People who are offered help and can't follow through. People who don't seek help. People who don't want help. People who are happy to live the gangster, thug, thief, jerk, anti-social, anti-social order lifestyles enabled by their friends, their relatives, their girlfriends, and a Winnipeg media that has a hard time telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to the residents of Winnipeg. I have no such problem, thankfully. There'll be more on the Crime Court's public safety beat as we wind towards the end of the year. I'm going to be trying to put together uh, some sort of uh, survey among the regular listeners of what they believe the top podcasts were. Again, if you want the uh, our uh, basically, it's like a year-end newsletter, our fundraising appeal, and our hunt for eighteen hundred. Uh, four hundred down, fourteen hundred to go. Just to be clear, but be glad to accept overages. Then send me an email, martygoldlive at gmail.com. I'll send you that PDF. And again, uh, send me if you want to be added to our email email list. Send me an email. Share these podcasts. Share the action line reports with others in the community. This is the only alternative media platform in Winnipeg. There is not one corporate newsroom. City TV does do a few things a little differently. I give them credit for that. But there's no corporate or legacy media outlet that covers politics, covers City Hall, covers what's going on in our community, covers crime. Certainly none of them cover anti-Semitism. With the ability, the dedication, the passion, the knowledge, the experience that I bring to the table. And that's why I ask for your support here as we head towards the end of the year. Just glancing over at the board. Coming up in a podcast in the near future, an update on anti-Semitism in Winnipeg in Canada and uh, internationally, as Israel continues to pound Hamas in the tunnels, more and more Hamasniks surrendering to the Israeli Defense Forces. Uh, lining up interviews with some individuals from City Hall, I can tell you that one has turned us down, one city councilor, but I'm pretty sure I'll be able to get them in the new year one way or the other. Going to follow up on some of the anti-Semitism that's going on on uh, local campuses, by the way, outside of these, this uh, this incident involving the posters about uh, Izzy Asper. Oh, yes. Coming up, exclusive report, city planning, bike lanes, catering to the bike lobby, and trying to screw over the business community. I got another exclusive coming up. You're going to want to hear it. If you want to donate by pay, by PayPal, that link is in the episode description. Interact, martygoldlive at gmail.com, or send me an email, 
and uh, be glad to discuss all the possibilities with you. We stand for you. We stand to get you information you're not getting anywhere else. Analysis that you're not getting anywhere else. Insight you're not getting anywhere else. Oh, and did I mention Andrew Marquez? We'll be doing more interviews with him. The guy who beat the city of Winnipeg in court and proved that the city planning processes were corrupt and criminal. Lots more action coming up here on the podcast. Lots more with actionline.ca. Please support our work because we support you. Because we abide by one principle. You have the power. Actionline.ca. Let's get right down to business. Our launch event exclusive interview with Andrew Marquez of Gem Equities. It looked like we were off to a good start. And then from there on, it was just jumping through hoops. The man who beat the city of Winnipeg in court was awarded $5 million and counting. They try to interfere with his development. And then we just realized this was essentially a game. Here, Andrew Marquez tell his story. This planner had a meeting with Councillor Orlico, and Councillor Orlico said, slow down the plan, basically stop it. On ActionLine.ca. Thanks for listening to The Great Canadian Talk Show. If you want to email Marty, send it to tgcts1 at gmail.com. Or follow him on Twitter at... TGCTS.